Welcome everybody. My name is Mikhail Nasrani and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 5, Commentary on Empire of Faith. Welcome to the Islam for Christians companion to Empire of Faith. Don't hit play quite yet. I want to be sure we're on the same page. Go to YouTube or something similar and type in Islam, Empire of Faith. You should see three parts of about 50 plus minutes. We'll go through all three here. If the narrator sounds like Ben Kingsley, you have the right one. Now a short preamble. This is an authoritative documentary in the West, meaning one that is likely shown in Western classrooms. It's actually a very, very good overview. I hadn't seen it for a while, but I rewatched it and I was actually pretty impressed. Okay, hit play on part one now. The first words you should see should be an empire's special.
10 minutes. This Abrahamic origin is usually <clears throat> traced back to Hagar in the desert. A famous theologian would later call Islam the result of the tears of Hagar, that God would make a great nation from the line of Ishmael. This is the lineage that Arabs slash Muslims claim.
This is a theme you will see constantly as you learn about Muhammad. I often think of him as a stoic, sane man, constantly surrounded by feuding primitive man children. If you binge listen to the Quran, you will frequently notice a tone of exasperation with the people who just don't get it. A similar tone can be found in the Old Testament as well, but is built into the narrative. The Quran has no narrative, so the reader slash listener needs to infer.
Um, just to clarify, Muslims are not socialist revolutionaries. Uh, capitalism is encouraged as long as you're not making money off interest, but you do need to pay the zakat, which is basically a wealth tax that goes directly to the poor. Islam is more Bill Gates than Bernie Sanders. Twenty minutes.
that is something you will notice uh, when you do end up reading the Quran. Uh, you'll see God references pretty much every pronoun you can think of. Um, it'll say something like, we created mankind. That means God created mankind. This always struck me as a ridiculous skepticism. I mean, if you believe in the supernatural, why would you put limits on what the supernatural is capable of? Just like today, when some people have a hard time believing God can hear millions of prayers at once. I mean, why? You believe in an infinite God, but believe he has limits when it comes to communications? It's ridiculous.
30 minutes.
they had been facing Jerusalem up to this point. This is the Battle of Bowder. You may have noticed they just skipped over about five years. This is a very broad overview.
40 minutes. Um, Muhammad is dead at this point. They kind of skipped that. Under Muhammad, the Muslims never made it out of the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, they'll circle back to that.
uh, keep in mind, you had to be a Muslim to have any position of importance in Muslim society or government. This is why most Christians in the Middle East would eventually convert, but it would be a very, very long process. We're talking centuries.
50 minutes. That's the end of part one. 
go ahead and hit play on part two now.
from Spain to India, Arabic was the lingua franca of most of the known world at this time. Pretty similar to what English is today. It wasn't until Spain became Christian again in the 15th century that Europe would become the center of the world. For now, it was Baghdad, similar to places like Florence or London in their heyday. Baghdad was full of Christians, which was true up until the 21st century. Remember that one of Saddam Hussein's right-hand men was actually a Christian. Christians weren't cleared out of the Middle East until after the turn of the 20th century, when many suffered genocides related to anti-European sentiment. One of these groups were the Syriac Christians, who spoke the same Aramaic language as Christ. But there are still many Middle Eastern Christians, including in what is now the West Bank, which is where Bethlehem is.
10 minutes.
Cordobo was one of the later parallel caliphates. It was like Chicago to Baghdad's New York during the Islamic Golden Age. It was a flourishing multiple-faith community until Ferdinand and Isabella kicked out all the non-Christians in 1492.
20 minutes. Um, for those only interested in the spiritual elements of Islam, this stretch might be quite boring. Um, but it is information not generally known, so it's worth seeing. There are some spectacular religious figures from this period that won't even be mentioned in this film, but I will get to them in later podcasts. My personal favorite is a Muslim mystic named Al-Halaj. It's A-L-H-A-L-L-A-J. Go ahead and look him up. Uh, <laughs> there's actually not, for someone so great, there isn't a whole lot available on him, but if you want the gist of it, just uh, you know, at least read the Wikipedia article. Again, I'll, I'll circle back to him later, for sure. Not in this podcast, in future ones. Thank you.
this was the year 1009.
30 minutes. Um, one aspect that made the Crusades such a disaster was the nature of the men that went on the Crusades. So many of the ranks were full of criminals and adventurers, and their actions tended to reflect that.
Um, this is actually a very good point. Um, as embarrassing as the successes of the early crusaders were to the Arabs, um, it was a pinprick in the larger Islamic world. A garrison of 20,000 crusaders wasn't going to take down a civilization that spanned half the world.
40 minutes. This was a minor miracle, but uh, Saladin may have been thinking of Muhammad when he entered Mecca all those years ago. It's just a bad look to wreak havoc in a holy place, regardless of religion. Interestingly, the Crusaders did not destroy the Dome of the Rock while in Jerusalem either, so the Temple Mount remained as it had been.
50 minutes. Islam conquered the Mongols in the same way Christianity conquered the Romans. The Mongols thought they had won, just like the Romans thought they had defeated both Jesus and Peter and the Jews when they destroyed the temple. But Christianity dominates the Italian peninsula. Peter's heir sits at the heart of the city of Rome, and Jewish morality is still the moral template in any place the Romans ever touched. Both the Romans and Mongols proved ultimately powerless when confronted with the God of Abraham. End of part two. Okay, start part three now. Um, just to be sure everyone knows this, and no shame if you don't, Turks or Ottomans, the Turks are not Arabs. They have no common lineage with Arabs. Turks are not Semitic in any way like the Arabs, and they weren't even from the Middle East originally.
Nice map here. You can see the Turks have taken almost all of what is now Turkey. Note the proximity to Constantinople, named after the first Christian emperor of Rome. It's hard to overstate the importance of Constantinople to the Eastern, i.e. Orthodox, Christians. Once Constantinople fell, the Orthodox capital would become Moscow, with the Russians rather than the Byzantines as the protectors of Orthodox Christians. Also notice the proximity to Greece, a well-known Orthodox Christian country. The Greeks would be sworn enemies of the Turks very, very soon.
Again, just to re-emphasize the importance of this to Eastern Christians, this would be as if the Arabs crossed the Mediterranean, took Rome, and turned St. Peter's Basilica into a mosque. Twenty minutes.
you'll notice the Ottomans still had little to the west of Turkey. This is because of two other Muslim giants, the Safavids in Persia and the Mughals in India. Little to the east of Turkey, I'm sorry, not little to the west. And Belgrade, that's another critical city for Orthodox Christians. It is the capital of Serbia, another important Orthodox nation that would see itself often as a Christian bulwark against Muslim encroachment. This would be important starting in World War I, the alliance with Moscow, the new Eastern Rome, and in the wars throughout the 1990s.
30 minutes.
Look at that eastern boundary. This is still the Sunni-Shia uh, Sunni boundary in the modern world, running almost straight through Baghdad. Forty minutes.
the Turks at Vienna. This is when Western Christians really begin to freak out about the Turkish menace. It's one thing to come to at the Eastern Slavs and the Orthodox Christians. It's quite another to threaten Vienna. This event is in the background of almost every early writing of the Reformation.
Fifty minutes. And that's the end of the whole thing. Um, for something titled Empire of Faith, it is light on faith. Uh, there was nothing about the spiritual developments throughout Islam, from the codification of the Quran to the four theological schools of Islam, to the great medieval theologians, to the modern strains of Islamism. There isn't really anything I've seen touching on those items, but that's partially what this podcast is for. God willing, or as the Muslims say, inshallah, We'll get to that in the coming years. Historically, they did skip over several fascinating flashpoints in Islamic history, particularly the first few centuries. Uh, here's a short list. The succession crisis, um, particularly the role of Muhammad's favorite wife, Aisha. She would be a major player through the first four caliphs and into the Umayyad dynasty. Then there was the assassination of the many early caliphs, not even mentioned. The rebellion of the Kharijites, a fundamentalist strain that has been a thorn in Islam almost since the beginning. This is a rich tradition for rebels to draw upon in any Muslim country that is getting a bit too secular. Hussein at Karbala, which is the unofficial birth of Shiism. This event, far more than the succession decision between Abu Bakr and Ali, defines Shia Islam. The occultation of the, tw of the 12th Imam. It's a fascinating apocalyptic innovation of Twelver Shiism, most prominent in Iran. I'd also like to give a shout out to the Mughal Empire, completely unmentioned in this documentary. 
It was a giant Muslim empire in what is today India and Pakistan, hemming in the Safavids to the west. They were not displaced until the British went to India, and the Taj Mahal is their finest legacy. Then there was the work of Ibn Saud, founder of Saudi Arabia, which is definitely worth mentioning. It was one of the few Muslim areas not colonized after the fall of the Ottomans, and the Saudis went on to find to found an intellectual empire of sorts, using oil money to spread Wahhabism and Islamic fundamentalism. The relationship between Islam and the West, partially through colonial legacy, would come to dominate the last century, as would the Muslim world's relationship with Israel. That's all I have. Thank you, and I will talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.